The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In a previous message, Elder John Morgan Owens preached to us about biblical manhood. In that sermon, he told us primarily what a man should do according to Scripture. Today, he recaps that sermon and then moves on to teach us not only what a man should do, but how a man should do those things. The things that God requires require a certain mindset and a certain focus. Join us today for this very timely message. Earlier, I, I tried to preach on what is a man, and this is um, a subject that's very near and dear to my heart as a man, <laughs> but I tried to preach on it a few Sundays ago on what is a man. You know, we've seen that the subject come up in, in our culture, specifically on what is a woman, and, and that sort of being a question to ask people uh, to find where they stand on a lot of subjects. And I believe it was asked to one of um, the, most, the most recent Supreme Court justice was asked, what is a woman? And, and she basically refused to answer that question, uh, kind of him hauled around and refused to answer it. That should be an easy question to answer, right? Um, and what is a man is, is something that is, uh, could be just as hard for people outside of Scripture to define. And as we talked about last time, a man, I believe that, that Satan is a master marketer. He, he is great at marketing something. And I believe that for generations, he has been propping up this straw man of what a man is. Okay, the, the concept of a straw man, it's, a, it's an oratory concept, a, a tool that, I, that I've used before as a lawyer. But essentially what you do is you take the other side's uh, views and you kind of construct a straw man of their argument and it's it's not a good version of their argument but it is a easy to defeat version and then you come on and you just 
assault that straw man, right? And, and preachers do it all the time. We set up Armenians and we say, you know, they, we put up these concepts of what somebody believes and then we just tackle it, right? <laughs> well, I believe that Satan had propped up this straw man of what a man is. The John Wayne, James Bond, tough guy who, who doesn't care about anybody, doesn't show emotion, all this guy. And because of that, I believe our society today hates that. They, they think that's what a man is, and so now society's in rebellion. And so now you've got uh, people of my generation or younger um, that are coming up in a world where people hate toxic masculinity, as they call it. <laughs> they hate man. And so what they do is you've got uh, people coming along, and, and as they're growing and maturing and aging, they're saying, I don't want to be a man. And so you've got a lot of uh, confused youth who are transitioning, you know, between man and woman and, and all kind of confusion out there, uh, essentially all because nobody knows what a man is or what a man should be, right? So, you know, Samson is an example of the man that I believe that Satan has been sort of uh, he's been propping up, right? This man that is the tough guy, he is the strongest guy. But if you look at it from, from Scripture, Samson is, is actually a perfect example of what a man isn't, right? I mean, he's strong, yeah, great. You know, I mean, if that's the only thing that anybody ever said about me, right, is, well, he was strong, I feel like my legacy would be really weak. If that's the only thing that people would say about me, well, he was strong, you know, he was tough as an ox. Well, that's great, but, you know, if that's all that you are, you know, you're not a man, okay? You know, Samson was selfish, he was a womanizer. He did everything uh, as, as Frank Sinatra, he did it his way, you know? And, and it did not turn out good for him, you know? He did not have a peaceful life uh, that I believe that God desires for us to have. So in that time, uh, in that first message, we talked specifically about what a man does, okay? The things that, that the Bible teaches that a man does. The first thing that we talked about is a man protects. And of course, you see examples in Scripture, you know, including Samson, of, of people showing that protective instinct, okay? You know, there is a reason why men biologically... Are, are generally larger than females and stronger is because we have been given this instinct to protect and this ability to protect, okay? Even if it means physical. Now, a lot of people, a lot of men have taken that advantage, that physical advantage, and abused it, right? But ultimately, what a man is is somebody who protects. And we looked at the example of several of, of the people in the Old Testament, these warriors, but we compared every single attribute of man to the man, Jesus Christ. And we saw that Jesus was a protector. Jesus is a protector. We saw that example of him in the garden. And those, those people came to get him. And he said, if you're looking for me, you take me. And you leave all these other people alone. You see, even at the end, even at, at the worst moment of his ministry on earth... He was still protecting the people around him, and that's what a man is. Another way that we protect, and you see it in Scripture, is not just in protecting people from 
from harm. You know, it's not just, it doesn't just mean that you, you fight off the bad guys or when, when your house is getting broken into that you defend your family. It could mean that. But it also means protecting others, protecting others' innocence. And that may mean, example, David on, on the rooftop as he's looking out over the, over the city and he sees Bathsheba there. What is he doing, right? Is he protecting her? Is he, is he protecting her innocence by lusting after her and by acting on that? Another way that we protect, and that has been completely lost in society, is you protect people by guarding, by guarding them, guarding their purity. Uh, and of course, in, in the society that we live in, that is not the way that it is, okay? Uh, not a lot of thought goes into the consequences of actions or in protecting somebody else. It's all about, it's all about me in society. All right, so then we talked about the second attribute, which is a man provides. You know, this is another uh, reason why I believe God has made us as, as men generally uh, bigger, more physical, stronger, um, is that we do have capabilities uh, to work and to provide. And, of course, we see that example of, of Jesus and his provision. How many times did, did people come and follow him into the wilderness even, and they needed food, they were, they were faint in the wilderness, and what did Jesus do? He said, I, I don't have time for you right now, you know. You know, when I get home from work and I'm tired, I'm tempted to do that. But Jesus, who, would, who his, his uh, John the Baptist, he just discovered or just heard, he already knew, obviously, because he's God, but he had just got the news that John the Baptist had died, and so he goes off into the wilderness alone, presumably to grieve that, that loss, even though we know he's God. He, he also, he, he experienced loss just like we do, okay? Obviously, he's perfect, but he goes out to the wilderness, and everybody follows him out there, and then they, they follow him so far out there that they're getting faint. They're about to pass out, and what does he do? He provides, right? He, he finds a way to provide for their needs. Now, we like to think about that in today's time as providing for money. You're get, making money for the family. But it's not just about financial things that we're providing. We talked about that too. We talked about how Jesus Christ provides for our needs. He provides for our financial needs. He provides for our material needs. But one of the, one of the greatest ways that Jesus provides for us even still today is, is he provides our emotional needs, right? So when you pray to God, what does he do? You know, is, is it just going into voicemail and he's going to listen to it later? <laughs> no, when you pray to God, we're told in Scripture that your prayer comes into the throne of God, to, to the throne of grace. And so the very God of glory through the intercession of Jesus Christ, you are being heard and listened to by the Father. I think about that example we, we looked at in that first part of this message where we looked at Jesus on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. It's, a, it's a, a very timely matter because Jairus' daughter is dying. Of course, we know, you know, 
that Jesus didn't have to rush because he can resurrect her just as easily as he can heal her, right? But nonetheless, as far as man's perspective, it was a, it was a time of rushing to get to Jairus' daughter. This would be like if, if in the ER, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting there uh, on, the, on the table and you're dying and you hear them, you hear them, Paige, Dr. So-and-so, uh, get to the emergency room, get to the operating room. And then you see that doctor out in the hall talking to somebody just with small talk, right? That's kind of what happened here. <laughs> Jesus was on the way, and then this woman with the issue of blood stopped him. And Jesus healed her, and Jesus listened to her. You know, this was her moment. This was her moment with the Master. And what was he going to do? Was he going to say, hold on, we'll, just, just hold up, we'll talk later. I've got, I'm, in a, I'm in a rush. No, he listened to her. And it said that she, she told him all the truth. It sounds to me like she told about her life story, a little bit of her history. Jesus provides by listening. And that is one of the things that, that I addressed before that I struggle with a lot, that I believe all of us men struggle with is uh, in listening. But remember this, you know, that is a way that we provide. <laughs> you want to provide for our families, I, I know I do. Well, most of the time, <laughs> family really could, could care less how much money we have. We, we, want, to, we want to know <laughs> that, that Daddy hears us and Daddy cares, right? And so to listen is, is to provide. All right, so a man protects, a man provides, the other thing is a man leads. It's, it's very clear in Scripture. The model that God has set up, Christ is the head of the church, and the man is the head of the family. Now, the beautiful example we have there is of Jesus Christ. You want to think that, that well, that means that I have a license as a man to dominate, <laughs> that, that I have to control my family with an iron fist. <laughs> Look, Jesus is our example of how to lead. Does he lead that way? <laughs> no, he leads in a gentle, kind nature, just like a shepherd. A man also does, a man takes responsibility. Adam in the garden, you see that as soon as we fall in sin, God comes on the scene and he asks Adam, what happened? You know, how do you know that you're naked? <laughs> he begins to, to question them about what's going on. And what does Adam do? He says, it was the woman that you gave me, Lord. Not only, not only is he not taking responsibility, he's trying to push responsibility off to Eve. And really, did you catch it? He's, he's also pushing off responsibility to God. He said, it's the woman that you gave me. You, you made her for me, and she led me into this. You see, that's not what a man is. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whose fault it is in the home if it happens the man takes responsibility, okay? When God comes to your home and wants to know why it's not in order, he's not gonna, he's not gonna question you sisters, he's gonna question you brothers, okay? And a good, a good leader, a good leader who takes that responsibility, takes the blame for when things go wrong and, and is encouraging when things go right, somebody like that makes it easy to follow, you know? I've, I've been watching, I, I think I mentioned it in that sermon too, I've been watching documentaries on these, these men in World War II, these American soldiers, 
and, and them telling their stories about how sometimes they would have somebody put in command over their platoon or whatever the case may be, and, and they just couldn't respect that person. They couldn't follow that person. And, and them telling about how, how much a difference it made having somebody that they knew would take care of them, right? They knew that, that this man, that he, he, would, he would die for them, he would lead them. If things went wrong, he would cover for them and take the responsibility. That's what a leader does. It, it, a leader provides a safe place for, the, for everyone else to flourish, right? A man also steps up. David is a great example. You know, you got all of those men, those soldiers sitting out there just looking over into the valley where Goliath is out there. You've got King Saul who, who as we read, was, was head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, he was the man. He was the Arnold Schwarzenegger guy. You know, he was the guy that you would want to have be your representative out there in battle. But he was too scared. <laughs> you know, in a situation like that, a real man has to step up. And that's what David did. We also uh, mentioned this, a man reflects. We don't think about this quality. We see this in Scripture where, where God asks, asks men to reflect on the, on the deliverances in the past, to reflect on history, to reflect on the past. And that's, that's a good thing. It's a, it's a good thing to, to be mindful of God's deliverances in the past and to remind others, to remind your family that, that listen, uh, this situation that we're in right now is exactly like that time when God delivered us in the past. It is good to have that, that, that person to remind you. And then we talked about a man loves and a man sacrifices. And of course, we, we can look at Ephesians chapter 5, where God tells us exactly that, that a man is, is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now that means, obviously, being willing to lay down your life for your family, but it also means being, being willing to live for your family every day, right? And Christ, we can't, we can't see a better example than, than Christ. And, and what a man, that he would, because of his love for us, that he would take on our sins, that he would be broken for us, that he would lay down his life just to save us. And that also means this. That also means you become what your family needs, okay? That means that when times get tough and, and you've, got to, you've got to become, you know, an additional provider, that's what you become. You know, comically, if that means that you, you've got to become the spider killer, you become the spider killer, right? Whatever your family needs. The trash man, you're, you're the guy, right? Your dreams... And your goals, your visions of what you want ought to be the very first thing on the chopping block, right? I've had many dreams, right? I'm a dreamer, okay? I've, I've had many dreams about how I would like our life to be, right? Many, I've, I've drawn up many house plans. I've had all kind of things, you know? I, I did not ever think that, that we would be living in a, in a trailer, but we are, right? <laughs> but, you know, a lot of my dreams... Especially once Brother Cal was, was born, I realized that my dreams don't matter, okay? <laughs> that, that my dreams ought to be the very first ones to be sacrificed, okay? 
Okay, so that was all in recap. Now, so that was things that man, a man does. But now I want us to get to this message, and I'm not going to take very long, but I want us to talk about how a man does, okay? Because as we know from the Bible, that how you do something is sometimes even more important than the thing that you do, okay? How you do it. Because look, you can, you can have somebody do any number of these things that we've just listed and do it in a completely wrong way and it's worthless, right? You could have a man come up and say, well, I'm going to provide. And then they just go off and they provide without doing anything else, without doing it in the proper way. And it can be just as disruptive, if not more. So let's look at Titus chapter 2. And let's look into how a man does. That was a long recap, but I felt like we needed that in context. Now, just because we're talking about the, the men, the brothers tonight, you sisters, I believe it's always good to listen. I mean, this is, for one, it's in the Bible, but also uh, it helps you because each one of you have men around you that you can help to encourage, maybe help to understand them. And, and, and so I believe it's still uh, just as beneficial to you sisters. All right, Titus chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, okay, so for you older men, I, I, I can't tell what category I'm in, but my body tells me I'm in the aged men category. But the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Now, that means that in these things that we're supposed to be doing, providing and protecting and stepping up and taking initiative and, and loving and sacrificing and reflecting, these sorts of things that a man does, this is how we need to do it, okay? That you need to do it with this sort of attitude. That the aged man be sober. That means that, that you are of a sound mind, okay? Now, look, it doesn't mean you look at, at an older person who maybe has some type of condition, dementia, or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of sound mind that we talk about when I'm, I'm going over somebody's will with them. What we're talking about is being stable, right? Not, not being wishy-washy, but being sober. You think about the difference between somebody who is drunk and somebody who is sober. On the one hand, you've got somebody who was drunk who does not have control over their faculties, who does not have control sometimes over their thoughts or on how they are their motor skills, whatever the case may be. And then you've got a sober person who has control over themselves. And that may, that may mean that the ability to, with, to restrain anger in situations, that could be a very difficult thing to do. You know, imagine being a, a protector... But, but doing it in a, just a belligerent, angry way. You see how that's not glorifying to God. It says grave. That the aged man be sober and grave. Now, you know, this does not mean that you have to be unhappy, okay? We often think of grave as a, as a sad, solemn person. Now, that does not, that's not how what you have to be, okay? Grave just means that, that you are circumspect. 
That means that you are aware of your surroundings and you're aware of consequences of actions and that uh, something is not entered into lightly. It says temperate. Temperate means self-controlled. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but, but self-control is not my greatest uh, uh, quality, okay? But as a man, I should be. I should be working on that self-control. I should be able to deny things that I want. I should be able to be temperate. That means that, that you know, the easiest way that we think of it is in a diet. You know, when we're talking about how you, what you eat. You know, or in what you drink, right? Being temperate. We think of temperance as, as something to mean you don't overindulge in alcohol or something. Well, look, temperance is how you live your entire life. To be temperate. Uh, to be somebody who is not lost to something. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of person that when I discover something new, I go all in. I dive head first in. I'm the guy, I think I mentioned before, that I go and I, I, I play golf one round and then all of a sudden I come back the next time and I have, I have the best clubs that I could buy. I've got everything and I go full force into it and I'm, I'm watching YouTube videos and I'm, I'm researching. I mean, I go, I go head over heels into something. That's really ultimately not showing a lot of temperance, okay? <laughs> You know, you, you need to be a little more balanced. I need to be a little more balanced. Sound in faith. You see, it's, this, is, this is not just for preachers, okay? Every man, every man that is a, a, a born-again child of God needs to be working on being sound in faith. Because that is ultimately how you respond to every problem in your life. Is your faith... <laughs> It is your is your understanding of what God teaches, and, and your and your response to when things uh, get shaken. It's being sound in faith because not only not only does that help you, but that helps everybody around you. Because there are people that look to you uh, for stability. When the world is shaking, they need somebody to hold on to, right? And that's what we need to be. We need to hold on to Christ as, as our family holds on to us, right? And look at this. It says, in charity, in patience. You see, it's not just, you know, a man is not just somebody that, that, uh, that blows and goes and that is, is in a hurry. A man is somebody who has charity and patience. This is how we ought to do. This is how we ought to be. Charity. Often that word is used, and I believe it is absolutely perfect. I believe the King James translators use the exact right word. That word is agape or love. It is, it is a love that describes a selfless love. It's not, it's not the kind of love that you have between a husband and a wife. It's not the kind of love that you have between a, a, a parent and a child. It's not the kind of love that you have with a friend. It's a love that you have when you are submitting yourself, right? It's a love where nothing is given back in return, just like charity, right? That's why we call that, we call charity what it is now, because it means you are just donating that love. And also in patience, uh, to be patient. Uh, not one of my, my qualities either. 
All right, let's skip ahead here. It says, The age of women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, similar to, to the, the description of the older men, the young men are supposed to be of a sound mind. <laughs> that means, perfect example, the, the coronavirus pandemic, okay? When everything was going haywire, a sober-minded person is somebody who ought to be able to look at the facts of what's going on and to be able to keep a level head, you know, not lose your cool. A lot, of, a lot of people lost their cool. I'm not taking away from the fact that it was a serious virus and people died. I'm just saying that in the midst of anything, we need to keep a level head, right? In the midst of whatever it is, to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. See, it's not just about doing these things. It's about doing good. <laughs> it's about being good. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. You see, we all ought to be students of the Bible. We all ought to be studying to have a, a uncorrupt doctrine, to have gravity. That means you take things seriously. It doesn't mean that we can't jest around like we do here, you know. But it means that, that when things ought to be taken seriously, they're taken seriously and they're handled in an appropriate way, in a mature way. And then sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Look, I, I have to think about this on a daily basis. When I'm dealing with lawyers and, and filing motions and, and having email communications, and, and, and not everybody... <laughs> Not everybody is nice, okay? Not everybody is looking out for your good like I try to, you know? I try to look out for others. Not everybody does that, okay? And some people will make an offender for a word. Some people will uh, try to catch you in something. Now, here's what it's saying. is that as a, as a man of God, you ought to handle things in such a way that, that people who are against you have nothing to work with. They have nothing, they have nothing to pull from to accuse you. You know, I, I've had times where people have misunderstood something that I said, something that I, I did, that I, I meant completely in, in, in being a sincere person trying to be kind. Not everybody is sincere, right? Some people are a little cynical and they don't trust that. And so I've got to be careful that my speech be sound, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. <laughs> you know, if, if something goes down and somebody is accusing me of something, I want that to be that it is foundless, right? I want there to be when somebody looks into it, they say, there's no way <laughs> because this person has done this and this and this. And look, it's exhausting to think that way. But we live in a world that is not our friend, okay? And, and a world that will try to make an offender for a word. 
So we look here at these things, how a man should do <laughs> and how you should be. And this, is, this means in every part of your life and what you're doing, this is not your church life and then your home life and then your work life. This means you ought to be this way all the time. These characteristics here are, are not just things that you do. This is how you do everything. That you ought to be somebody who is stable and dependable. That's what God wants you to be for your family, for the people around you. And unfortunately, you look at, you look at these behaviors, I would encourage you to try this, to look at, at these qualities and compare them to the qualities that you see portrayed on TV, the qualities that you see portrayed by our congressmen, by our senators, by our presidents, whatever the case may be. This, these qualities are no longer being encouraged, right? We live in a world where what is encouraged is, is divisiveness and the I got you moments, right? That is not the qualities of this. Now just think about what would happen. What would happen if we actually tried to do the right thing to, to, and to do it in the right way? See, the ends don't justify the means. You know, the things that we talked about in recap before this, all the things that a man does, if you accomplish one of those things but you didn't do it in the right way, it's no good, <laughs> right? You see, it's, it's more important even to how you do things than, than what actually gets accomplished. Uh, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.